Greetings of love to each of you this morning, in the name of Jesus. Hope each of you had a good week. Glad to be able to be together and worship God this morning as well. Thank you for the many uh, good thoughts that were shared already this morning and the uh, singing of the hymns together. It's not my subject this morning, but I, I think of it different times. The power of song at the beginning of a worship service, that's not by happenstance. Um, you go back to the Old Testament worship and all the way through. There's, um, there's something about that, the singing of hymns together that sets, sets the mood, sets the pace, sets the atmosphere for the entire service. and So that's a, an important part of it. A few questions just to get our minds going. First of all, what would you say is the most powerful thing on earth? It's not really a trick question, but and I'm sure there could be a few different ideas, but what would you say is the most powerful thing on earth? Prayer. Okay, prayer. It's not no. It's powerful. I wouldn't say it's the most powerful. Okay, ability to choose. The Holy Spirit. Okay. Returning good for evil. Okay. I would like to say this morning that the scriptures are the most powerful. And I know that was, I knew I'd get answers all over the map, so don't feel bad at all. I'd like to narrow this down because recently it was impressed on my mind again that we don't fully understand the power of the scriptures that we have. Now, here's another question for you. How many of you have ever doubted or had times of doubt about the Authenticity of the scriptures. Raise your hand. Have you ever wondered whether or not? Okay, let's be honest. It's okay. You're not going to get in trouble for this. Raise your hands again. There, there's more of them. That's more accurate. <clears throat> and a lot of us say, well, I've never really struggled a lot with that. And I can't say I struggled a lot with it. But there have been times, it's like, is this really, is this really true? Is this going to, is this exactly? You see the whole world and all of history, and it's like, is this really how it is? So most of us have had those, you know, those times of, those thoughts of doubt a bit. The... Um, I'd like this morning to think about the power of the living word. It's a very simple, it's a simple title, but I'd like to explore some of these scriptures again. Very familiar scriptures, but try to come at it from a little different angle this morning to help us to understand the power of the living word. And we use these terms that the word of God is alive. We, we talk about that, the living word. We use these terms of what do they really mean and do we really believe and understand them as the scripture portrays that to us. Now here's another question for you. Have you ever, uh, <clears throat> this isn't so much the doubt part of the issue, but have you ever um, wondered about the effect of the scriptures on your own heart? All right, so we hear teaching and young people, too, here this morning, you know, your parents tell you you need to read your Bible. Um, preachers tell you that, you know, we, we're, a lot of us are raised knowing that it's a good idea. You should read your Bible every day. Study the scriptures, all those things. And how is it then that at times, well, I should ask you as a question. Have you ever at times then wondered, like, what does it do for me? Have you ever read the Bible and it's just, you read the scripture in the morning, it's like checking off the box, I did that, I'm good for the day, 
and then stop and wonder, did it do anything for me? Have you ever had that question? You read the, the Bible and just you do it, it just it doesn't seem alive. There's times we read it and we know it's alive, we feel it. But you know, we can go through sort of like times like that where it's like, yes, I did it because I know it's the right thing to do, but go away wondering what it did for us. We'd like to look at that a little bit as well. Now, the importance of this, I guess, is in this question, and that is, how do you know, how do I know the Scriptures are the living Word of God? How do we know that? And this time this morning, we're only going to brush the surface. There's going to be, there's so many other things that we could look at, but just to get our minds going. I think it's in the importance of this, is um, spelled out for us in the scriptures when we think about the deception of the last days. And Jesus made it very clear that there's a mass majority of people, even religious and so-called even Christian people, that are going to be deceived in the last days and they're not going to make it. And those who make it are going to be the minority and, and so we could ask the question with all the deception around us. Somebody was talking the other day. I didn't see it or anything, but I think it was a football kickoff or something that some woman preacher used the Bible to as the opening kickoff of the game. Can you imagine that? Actually literally kicking a Bible to open the football game. That's way out there, you say. When you think about the spiritual deception of the last days and what all is going to be involved in that and how that will affect us, is affecting us. All right, let's turn to a very familiar scripture. This is where we're going to start. Hebrews 4. We could all probably say these two verses by memory. Hebrews 4, 12... And 13. All right, let's read this together. Hebrews 4, verse 12. Already. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We're going to be zigzagging in and out of this scripture. A few times in the message, I would like to start first of all with the uh, fact that the, the Bible, this living word, bears the image of a divine author. It bears the image of, of a divine author. This not only is the premise for the, the power of the, uh, of the living word, but also the authority of the living word. It is God's own words. It's God's own words. It is like... It'd be no different than if I would hold this Bible and God would have literally wrote these words with his finger. Not only from a spiritual perspective, but that is how that is how true the living word is. That is given to man. And it's just a side note. But that's one reason we teach our children respect for the Bible. You, know, so you treat a Bible right. Okay, not just because of the paper and the pages and that. But it is the living word of God. It is God's word written and delivered to us. It bears the image of a divine author. Just think of this, spoken through human agents, or what I mean by that is human people. Men wrote 
and at many times writing what they did not understand. And they were told, we went through that in a message some time ago, how they, 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 were, they wrote down words and they were puzzled at what it all, all means. You know, Peter talks about it in his epistle, and it was, it was, they were told that, no, it's not for your time, it's for a future time. And even the angels desired to look into it because they did not understand what was going on in relation to the work of God. So God spoke his own words through human agents who did many times did not understand what they were writing themselves. But you know, there's a central theme that uh, though it was written over a 1,500-year period by many different writers, many of them never knowing each other, but there's a central theme right, a theme right throughout the Scriptures. And there's a unity there. Now, <clears throat> so how do we know this in relation to the divine author part of the Scriptures? Turn with me to Matthew 22. I'd like to show you this scripture. It's, a, it's familiar, but I'd like to look at it from a little different perspective. Matthew 22 and verse 31. Now, in this account here is um, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees were talking to Jesus and they tried to trap him was the Sadducees tried to track, tra- track him, trap him in relation to eternity and future life. Because the Sadducees did not believe, did not believe in angels or spirits, and uh, neither did they believe in the resurrection. They were actually very liberal in their doctrine. And so the Sadducees came to, to Jesus, and they, you remember that story, where they posed this question, and they were challenging the, the they were challenging the teaching of the resurrection. And that, that up in verse twenty four, you know, they say, "Master Moses said, if a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother." Now there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife deceased and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. And so on. And they were trying to trap Jesus. And they said, okay, in the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? Because seven brothers had married her. So that was the trick. That was the trick question. In verse 28, therefore in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? Now, notice what Jesus, this is very important. Notice what Jesus says. And we're not talking about resurrection or all of that. Or marriage, but I'd like to focus on the scripture part of this. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Now notice this. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Powerful answer. In other words, he says, why did God say himself, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Those men were dead already when he said that to Moses. So is God the God of the dead or the God of the living? And he put them to silence. The multitude were astonished at his doctrine. Tremendously powerful answer. God himself said, I'm the God of these three patriarchs because those men are still alive. That's why I said it. I'm the the God of the living. Now, back to verse 31. Here's what I want us to remember this morning about this passage. Notice what Jesus said in interpreting this Old Testament passage, which he quoted in verse 32. Jesus said, but as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read? In other words, they, he's saying, you read the, the writings of Moses, because they held Moses up here, right? You've read the writings of Moses. Have ye not read that which was spoken unto who? What does it say? Unto Moses? 
unto you. Jesus here took this Old Testament account of God speaking directly to Moses in saying that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he took that and said it wasn't just, he didn't even say it was written to Moses. He said it was written to you. To you. That is the authority and power of, the, of even the Old Testament. And so Jesus didn't say, you know, Moses was told this by God, and you should believe it. He said, no, God told you this, and you, you had it to read, and you did not believe it. I believe the greatest authority in interpreting the scriptures is when they are interpreted by God himself. And if you want an interesting Bible study, go through the scriptures in the New Testament and notice how many times Old Testament scriptures are interpreted by, New, by the New Testament. And so we can look and say, well, what does the prophet Joel mean when he's talking about the sun being darkened and the moon not giving its light? You know, when you read that from the prophet Joel, what does that mean? Or was it the prophet Hosea? I didn't have this in my notes. The prophet Hosea. He talked about the uh, tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and it's going to be rebuilt. How do we understand those Old Testament scriptures when you look at them? You go to the New Testament, and you go to the beginning of Acts, you know, in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and you have um, the apostle Peter in that tremendous message on Pentecost saying, now is fulfilled this prophecy. Not in those words, but that's what he's saying. Of the prophet Joel. That I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And Peter is saying, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is what is just happening. These men are not drunk. This is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was prophesied by the prophet Joel. And so we can take that and go back to the Old Testament, prophet Joel, and say, God has interpreted that scripture for us in the New Testament. And you go through the scriptures like that. And um, I refer to Hosea there, the tabernacle of David, which is broken down. It's going to be rebuilt. And how do you interpret that? Well, you go to um, Acts 15, and you have the apostles interpreting that scripture for us in the building of the church. And so what I mean by that is, you know, the, the authority of God comes through in his own interpretation of his scriptures. Um, you go through all the messianic prophecies related to Christ, and, and over and over again you see that. The, um, the New Testament interprets the old, the work of God. And so, it's interesting, back to this scripture here, where Jesus said that scripture, that was the word of God that he told you. Yes, it was written by Moses probably 14 centuries before that. But Jesus said, you had, that, you had the words of God, you read that and did not believe it. Now, <clears throat> another thing that sometimes causes doubt or struggle, and that is, some will say, skeptics will say, well, but how would God use faulty, sinful men to write his words. This is a major stumbling block for a lot of people. They say, okay, well, you say it's inspired of God, but you know, he used men. And so an atheist will say, well, it's just the writings of men. Have you ever heard that? Let me tell you that. I've heard that. It's just the writings of men. How do you answer that? Maybe sometimes it's part of a seed of doubt that can creep into our own minds. And sometimes we do it to ourselves. And this is just a side note, and I thought of this in relation to this message. Sometimes we say, well, Paul is writing, or, you know, Peter is writing. And I, it's okay, we, we can do that. But let's not just characterize it only as the writings of men. God says through the Apostle Peter, this is the truth, see? So let's just keep that clear, even though we do that. We talk about the letters or the writings of, you know, that men penned, but it is the word of God, and so let's not degrade it to simply the writings of men. Now, people will say that. <clears throat> How do you answer that? 
maybe you have a thought. What scripture would you turn to? And of course, that's tough because you're turning to the scriptures to refute the error against the scriptures. This is something that I came across this week. I don't think I've ever used this before. But turn with me to Psalm 12. This is an interesting one. Psalm 12 is a psalm of David. And you see, David was a faulty man too. And we'll talk about that in a minute here. Psalm 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. I never realized this in this verse before, but it's almost a contradiction. And it's really the contradiction that we're talking about of God using faulty, sinful men to write his scriptures. The words of the Lord are pure words. Straightforward, understood, done, sealed. We can accept that. The words of the Lord are pure words. Then it says, as silver tried in a furnace of earth. Earth? If the Lord's words are pure, why are his words purified in a furnace of earth? And then purified seven times. I'd like you to remember this because I think it's, it answers this question to me very clearly. It's a beautiful picture. <laughs> The words of the Lord are pure. And like silver that is tried in a furnace of earth, what happens in a furnace of earth with silver? It's refined, right? It's tried. It means refined. It's purified. And what, what is it in that furnace that does that? Anyone? What is in the furnace that refines the silver? Heat. Fire. Really hot fire. So the silver is going through, or the pure words of God are going through this furnace of fire, furnace of earth with fire to be purified. I believe this is a picture of exactly what we're talking about of God giving his scriptures through fallen man. I believe that the word, the words of the Lord are pure. They were given, they were breathed, they were given to the apostles and others, the writers of scripture, were given through the Holy Spirit. They were God-breathed, as the Apostle Peter says, and they wrote them down. The furnace of earth I believe is the humanity, the earthen people, you could say, that God used to write the scriptures. The fire of the furnace is the Holy Spirit, because we know the Holy Spirit was involved in the giving of the scriptures. Holy men of God spake as they were what? Moved. And that word moved there means carried along as they wrote the words of God. So the Holy Spirit, in those faulty, sinful writers of Scripture, the Holy Spirit, the fire of the Holy Spirit within, kept those words purified right through that human agency, and those the Scriptures came out through that human agency seven times more pure than in the beginning. That's the picture I see in relation to the Word of God coming to a fallen writer, a fallen person, 
fallen man, writing him down, which means that's why we believe that the scriptures are inerrant, inerrant in the original writings. In other words, without error. Because they came through that furnace of Holy Spirit fire. And when, they, when that ink met the paper, that ink was applied to the paper, it was pure words, purified to the perfection of the number seven. Now, what that means is, there'll be other illustrations, but don't ever be deceived by those who say that they are just the writings of men. And there's all kinds of variations of that. Some saying, well, you know, some of it I can accept as the inspired word of God, but some of it is just the writings of men. Or they'll say, I'll just accept the words of Jesus, you know, we have in the Gospels, but, but reject the apostles as the writings of men. You can't do that. Do you know that the new Jerusalem, the holy city, is laid upon the foundation of what? The apostles and the prophets. The apostles, the 12 apostles, are there pictured as part of the foundation of the new Jerusalem. They are foundational in the scriptures. God chose them to be the foundation of his church. And their writings are all the, have all the authority of God. So that's why we must accept the scriptures as God gives them to us. All right. The scriptures possess divine life. The word there in Hebrews is quick or alive. Not only, it not only has the idea of being alive, but also the thought of able to impart life. And every child of God here this morning, as we understand this personally, how that the word of God is alive, never out of date, always speaks to the needs of every generation. You know, and the fact that the, uh, so many people throughout um, history have tried to destroy the scriptures is nothing more than a validation of that they are afraid of it because of its power. You know, it's illegal to have a Bible in North Korea. You can go to jail for, or be executed for having a Bible in the house. Why are those regimes so desperate to, to get rid of the Bible? Because they recognize that it's a powerful book. And they will not be able to control the people that, uh, that follow this book. They will not be able to dictate to them what they want and their beliefs about atheism if these people have the book. And so they tried to destroy it. And so that is really just a validation, confirmation of the power of the scriptures. <clears throat> and so the, the, um, the word of God gives life. in a very spiritual way. How many times have we gone to the scriptures in times of trial or discouragement and it has breathed life into us? It has, it has given us that encouragement. <clears throat> this divine life that it contains gives it an immortality that man has yet to find in, in seeking you know, to, um, the, the eternal aspect of existence. The scriptures are never dead or powerless. They're always active and always produce the ineffect in man. And so the scriptures possess divine power. Flowing from the divine life of scripture is divine power. This power of scripture is beyond description. We must at times, uh, we most times see its effect, not necessarily it as a tangible thing, of course. But there is that, um, there's the effect of it. It has the power to awaken a sleeping conscience. It has the power to alarm the deep fears in man. It has power to give cleansing to the penitent. It has power to guide the true seeker into truth. It has power to soothe and give balm to troubled hearts. It has power to sanctify the saint, body, soul, and spirit. It has power to lay bare all the secrets of the heart. It has power and can cause the sinner to stand condemned, trembling and quaking before a righteous God. And so this morning, you with me, I believe, have felt this power if you know the Lord Jesus and have experienced his saving grace. Jesus also used only the sword of the Spirit, the, the word of God, as it were, when confronting the devil. 
And again, you're familiar with these scriptures. We're not going to turn to them in Matthew 4, where Jesus there confronted the devil in the three temptations, the three main temptations of life. And every time he used the scriptures, it is written, it is written, it is written. Jesus knew the power of the scriptures, and and he, he used that a lot in his teaching. We read one of those scriptures, at least one of them, where he would, um, he, he talked about, <clears throat> you know, there to the Sadducees about what, you know, God had told Moses. And so Jesus was very familiar with the scriptures. And how he, would he not be if it was actually his written word is actually Jesus Christ, in a sense, incarnate? And so um, some have said that, they, that Jesus in his um, life here on earth, in his earthly ministry, probably would have known the entire Old Testament by memory. Well, he wrote it, so, you know, with his father. So, I mean, he, he understood it, obviously. And uh, he was, in a sense, scriptures incarnate. But, um, so he used the scriptures, and we need to be skillful in the word. And uh, we, that scripture there in, in Hebrews 4 about the, the sword and the, the, the picture of that and engaging with the word of God in spiritual combat, which is what we just talked about Jesus doing there in Matthew 4. And, you know, we, most of us don't know much about sword, battle, sword fights, um, but we know the scripture uses that uh, word picture for us multiple times to be engaged in, in a duel, in a combat, like the gladiators there in the Roman Colosseums, you know, to fight hand to hand, you know, with a sword. The scripture uses that to describe the spiritual warfare that we are in. And Jesus there did that, like we talked about in Matthew 4. And we need to be skillful in the word. We need to understand the scriptures and the power of them, not to stand in our own strength, but in the, in the power of the written word of God. This is the most powerful book in the world, the most powerful thing in the world. And when we use it to, to in, in spiritual warfare, there is way more power than any of our words or our deeds or what we try to, to comprehend and do. So when we may be tempted, I'll just give you some practical illustrations. When we may be tempted to use some swear words, and you know how it is, brother, we're out in the workplace and, you know, we hear this kind of language and we, you know, and we, we know it is wrong, but what do we do when, you know, a bad word, an evil word comes to the tip of our tongue as an expression? What do we do? We're fighting a spiritual battle. We're tempted to use a swear word. How do we how do we do that? I think it's the scriptures. It's knowing the scriptures and having those scriptures memorized and in our minds, and the Holy Spirit will bring them to our remembrance. I would say the one that comes to me the most often in that kind of a temptation is Matthew twelve, verse thirty six. But I say unto you that every idle word that a man shall speak. He will give account thereof in the day of judgment. That verse has probably closed my mouth more times than any other verse as far as my tongue. Someone asks you why you don't swear, what do you tell them? This is the verse I've given at times because I believe I'm going to have to answer in judgment day for the words I use. I'm just using that as an illustration. I haven't been perfect in this. That's what I mean by the word of God having that effect upon us. It's a sword that we take in those moments of temptation. Or maybe we are tempted with um, some, you know, following worldly fashions and kind of coming up, you know, following, you know, this, the, the fashions that come around. What scripture should come to our minds in that type of temptation? If any man love the world... The love of the Father is not in him. Or maybe in James, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Shouldn't that squelch any hankering after the world, whether it's in fashion or whatever it is? That's the word of God. 
That's living. That's powerful. It tells us what God says about you know these things. Or maybe we may be tempted with a little alcoholic beverage. Proverbs 20, verse 1, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Or maybe it's uh, being tempted to allow more materialism into our lives. You know, the lust for things and, and riches and all those things. You know, and then maybe we need to uh, think about 2 Peter 3, verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holiness, in holy, holy conversation and godliness? You see, that's the scriptures in our minds, in our hearts. That's why the psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. In the time of temptation, in the time of spiritual warfare, in the struggle against sin in our lives, brothers and sisters, we need the living power of the word. And that's why it was read in our devotional, the beginning of the service, and taking unto you the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's the sword. That's, that's offense. That's, that's battle. Yes, it's defense, but I believe it's offense to deal with the temptations that come to us. We could go to talk about a lot of others, you know, pride and versus humility and a lot of things, just, just a whole, whole list. But those are the things that they need to have in our hearts. The scriptures possess supernatural spiritual insight. That verse there in Hebrews sharpened than a two-edged sword. The Romans, the Roman swords were two-edged, the ones they used in gladiator combat, uh, man-to-man, sword-to-sword. They were a weapon of choice because of their penetrating ability and could cut both directions. And the scriptures are likened to that in various places. You know, there where Stephen was before the Sanhedrin court, and um, they were challenging him, and he gave the truth directly to them. It says there that they were cut to the heart. And that's the power of the scriptures. The God of the Bible understands our hearts, the heart of every man and woman, far above our understanding and I know we believe that we say that you know we can't hide anything from God but do we really really believe that I mean do we really understand that um, you know apart from God and his word man will always go far afield in any attempt to understand his own character his own heart and the scriptures have the ability to penetrate the heart even the hardest heart is affected by the power of the scriptures just being here this morning listening to the scriptures whether given in the devotional the Sunday school lesson or whatever it is the preaching of the word here you know that word is having effect on us you don't sit here with, and hear this without it pushing you one way or the other it'll push you toward softness of heart and humility a desire to serve God more faithfully or it's going to push you toward hardness of heart if we reject it and turn against it. That, that's a sobering thing. That's the power of the scriptures is living. It will force men to a decision one way or the other. And the other interesting thing is in relation to penetrating the hardest heart I just heard of a story just this week about a man who was involved. He grew up in South Africa. He became a, he was quite educated, became a philosopher and in his uh, philosophical studies, he decided to, to um, study the scriptures, study the, the Bible, to, um, in order to prove from a philosophical standpoint that it was an error. The man has been a preacher now for, I think, over 40 years, touching lives, preaching the new birth, preaching the scriptures power of the scriptures for over 40 years he said I was never I was um, he said I, I just never um, thought or even dreamt what was going to happen to me when I started studying the scriptures and it didn't take very long at all and he was on his knees repenting there would be other stories like that 
but that's one I just a new one I heard this week. Those who try to take it on find out there's a power there that they never realized. We at times may not understand an issue. You think about the uh, the whole idea of the scriptures uh, discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. Uh, we try to decide, you know, whether something is, is right or wrong, or we try to make decisions. But, you know, the scriptures have a clear, have it clear all along. I find it interesting, you know, this whole discussion about, you know, the, um, um, the old belief of flat earth versus, you know, uh, a round earth and, you know, that, that whole thing. You know, and and uh, they were sh- many were sure that Columbus, when he sailed to find the Americas, that he was going to go off the edge. And uh, that was a common belief back then. Still, a few people around that believe that. But you know, the Bible had that made that clear all along. You know, it's just that was that was clear. So um, there's always those um, things that the Bible has, has said was true. They recently think they found the, the the tomb of King David, possibly the tomb of King David, and they found some artifacts that relate to the uh, um, Davidic uh, kingdom. And they said, well, that's the first evidence they found outside of Scripture that there was actually a King David that ruled in Jerusalem. Before that, there was no, there was nothing. And so a lot of the scholars did not believe it was true because it was only the Bible that said it. Isn't that interesting? The Bible had it right all along. They just hadn't found the evidence, what they thought was evidence yet. Anyway, there'd be a lot of things like that. But um, you think about what we said, we looked at there in Hebrews 4. It says the Bible, the scriptures have the power to divide between soul and spirit. And none of us have seen either one of these. We're three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. The scriptures, the word of God, divides between soul and spirit. And what that means is, I believe, that the scriptures can show us the difference between what is truly spiritual and what is merely soulish. And there's a lot of Christianity today that is merely soulish. Merely soulish. It doesn't rise to the level of spiritual. But the scriptures will help us understand those things that we cannot understand and help us to know them. Well, the scriptures possess the ability to pass authoritative judgment. We talked about the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We say sometimes, well, I'm sorry, I didn't intend to say it that way, or I didn't intend to do that, or I, I didn't really mean that. True or untrue, Bible, the scriptures know that. God knows that. Exactly what our intents and intentions were, whether we portray it that way or not. And so it goes beyond merely being shown where we have done wrong, it shows us the intents, the intentions of our heart is examined. And so um, that is the power of the scriptures. And the, um, another thing I'd like for us to remember here this morning in relation to the scriptures, and this was I guess, somewhat of a new idea to me. It's not original with me. But we need to remember that when you read, I read the Bible, the Bible is reading you or me. That's because the Bible is, is the living word of God. We read the Bible, but as we read the Bible, the Bible is reading us. It's analyzing us. It's searching us. It's searching our intentions. And, and whatever... It, it sees, the Bible sees in us. That's why you can't go to the scriptures without it affecting us in one way or the other. It's likened to a mirror. But it's more than a mirror. Because it sees past the surface. And it sees right through. It sees exactly what's inside. And so you cannot hide. We can never hide from that searching work of the spirit it makes a man totally vulnerable before, before his God as someone said it is to expose the neck to the sword 
the sword which is the word of God, the scripture says, and we expose ourselves as we're exposing our neck to the sword. We make ourselves vulnerable, but exposing ourselves to the scriptures also makes us vulnerable as we stand before God because he knows it all. That's why it says there all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Nothing hidden. God also provides everything we need in life, in the scriptures. Second Peter 1 verse 3, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. What happens if I give up in the Christian life? It's because I did not lay hold on the provisions of God for me to live a righteous life. There's only one answer. It is never God's fault. Because he has said, he told us, that I will give, I have given to you everything that you're going to need for a life of faithfulness, a life of godliness. All things that pertain unto life and godliness. And so this morning, the power is tremendous. The opportunities of exploration and understanding the power of the scriptures Brothers and sisters, there's just so much that we don't know yet. There's just so much that we haven't understood yet. And so much is waiting there to be discovered. If we apply ourselves and understand the power of the scriptures. Another thing that maybe you have struggled with, and I know I have struggled with at times, we talked about this a little bit, but you know, we read the scriptures, and then we kind of go on our way. Did it do us any good? Yes. It will always do us good. If we do it in any measure of sincerity and in faith. Remember this. God's revelation of his word to us is not dependent on my memory. Now, I will hasten to say that it is really good to memorize the scriptures, and we should. Well, we are forgetful people. And there's times you say, well, you know, how am I going to remember that? Here comes in the Holy Spirit. Gee, what did Jesus say? The Holy Spirit, he will bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. In fact, Jesus said, when you are called before kings and, in other words, before the courts, and you're, you're, you're drug in there to answer for your faith, don't bother trying to figure out what you're going to say before you get there. He said, my spirit will put the words in your mouth and the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. Did you ever read some of those testimonies of men, say like in the Reformation, who were called in before the courts and, and the discourse they had? They were many times unlearned and ignorant men, but their refutation of, of truth is, still stands today as, as remarkable. It was the Holy Spirit within them that answered those questions. And God blessed that. And so I think in, in, our, in our lives, the more we know and understand the scriptures and study the scriptures, the more spiritual power we will have. I think that's in personal life. I think it's in home life. I think it's in church life, in church decisions. We must keep the scriptures foremost in all that we do and all that we decide. I thought of this in relation to this message. Maybe, you know, in our, maybe it's just, brethren, we ought to be carrying our Bibles to, to brothers' meetings. You say, well, we, we kind of know. You know, we're trying to decide something. We better go to the scriptures first. That's why I say, maybe we, maybe it's the mo- one of the most important meetings that we ought to have our Bibles with us. Just food for thought. But it provides spiritual nourishment also, 1 Peter 2.20. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So we have the scriptures as milk to those who are new and immature and innocent in the faith as they come to a knowledge of Christ. But then you get to Hebrews 5, and it says that the time you ought to be teachers, you have somebody who needs to teach you, again, the first things of the oracles of God. 
and uh, you have need of milk and not of strong meat. You know, at one time that was fine to have milk, and now he says it's time to, you should be on meat. And uh, he said, you're still spiritual babes, and you're not understanding that your senses to discern both good and evil are not very good because you haven't matured. And there the scripture is saying that there's too many spiritual babies in the church. People that have not matured and do not have a good working knowledge of, of the word of God, this living word. Well, there's encouragement from the, all the promises of God, whereby are given unto you exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, all those promises. In closing, we need to read the scriptures, we need to know the scriptures, we need to memorize the scriptures, and we need to skillfully use the scriptures. And I would just like to say again, in our hands, in this book, the most powerful thing in the world. How will we get through the deception of the last days? By the book. How will we live right in the last days? By the book. How will we find the spiritual strength to endure all the pressures that come upon us in the last days? It's just following the book. Let's love it, let's cherish it, and let's use it. Let's kneel to pray. Father, we thank you for your living word and the power of it. We realize, Father, that there are so many things that we have yet to learn. And Father, we just pray that you would impress this on our minds and help us to understand what yet you want to accomplish, not only in our hearts personally, but also in our families and in the church and in the society and the world around us. We thank you, Father, for this word, this living word, and that it, it just supplies all these things that we need in life, our encouragement, our challenge, our chastisement, our faith, <coughs> the words in our mouths to speak your truth to others, your guide for church life, family life, personal life, how to deal with the world, temptations, all these things. Father, we just thank you and praise your name. May we each in our lives be sure that we are seeking to use all this available power to live righteous lives for you. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen.